Chapter Four of Isaac Bickerstaff. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Isaac Bickerstaff, physician and astrologer, by Richard Steele. Chapter Four: Recollections. It is remarkable that I was bred by hand and ate nothing but milk till I was a twelve-month old, from which time to the eighth year of my age i was observed to delight in pudding potatoes and indeed i retain a benevolence for that sort of food to this day i do not remember and uh, i distinguish myself in anything at first but my great skill at talk for which i was so barbarously used that it has ever since given me an aversion to gaming in my twelfth year i suffered very much for two or three false concords at fifteen i was sent to the university and stayed there for some time but a drum passing by being a lover of music i listened myself for a soldier as years came on i began to examine things and grew discontented at the times this made me quit the sword and take to the study of the occult sciences in which i was soaked up that oliver cromwell had been buried and taken up again five years before i heard he was dead this gave me the reputation of a conjurer which has been of great disadvantage to me ever since and kept me out of all public employments the greater part of my later years has been divided between dick's coffee-house the trumpet in sheer lane and my own lodgings from my own apartment june fifth there are those among mankind who can enjoy no relish of their being except the world is made acquainted with all that relates to them and think everything lost that passes unobserved but others find a solid delight in stealing by the crowd and modelling their life after such a manner as is as much above the approbation as the practice of the vulgar life being too short to give instances great enough of true friendship or goodwill some sages have thought it pious to preserve a certain reverence for the manes of their deceased friends and have withdrawn themselves from the rest of the world at certain seasons to commemorate in their own thoughts such as their acquaintance who have gone before them out of this life and indeed when we are advanced in years there is not a more pleasing entertainment than to recollect in a gloomy moment the many we have parted with that have been dear and agreeable to and to cast a melancholy thought or two after those with whom perhaps we have indulged ourselves in whole nights of mirth and jollity with such inclinations in my heart i went to my closet yesterday in the evening and resolved to be sorrowful upon which okay i could not but look with disdain upon myself that though all the reasons which i had to lament the loss of many of my friends are now as forcible as at the moment of their departure yet did not my heart swell with the same sorrow which i felt at that time but i could without tears reflect upon many pleasing adventures i have had with some who have 
long been blended with common earth. Though it by the benefit of nature that length of time thus blots out the violence of afflictions, yet with tempers too much given to pleasure, it is almost necessary to revive the old places of grief in our memory, and ponder step by on past life, to lead the mind into that sovereignty of thought which poises the heart, and makes it beat with due time, without being quickened with desire, or retarded with despair, from its proper and equal motion. When we wind up a clock that is out of order, to make it go well for the future, we do not immediately set the hand to the present instant, but we make it strike the round of all its hours before it can recover the regularity of its time. Such, thought I, shall be my method this evening, and since it is that day of the year which I dedicate to the memory of such in another life, as I much delighted in when living, an hour or two shall be sacred to sorrow and their memory, while I run over all the melancholy circumstances of this kind which have occurred to me in my whole life. The first sense of sorrow I ever knew was upon the death of my father, at which time I was not quite five years of age, but was rather amazed at what all the house meant than possessed with a real understanding why nobody was willing to play with me. I remember I went into the room where his body lay, and my mother sat weeping alone by it. I had my battledore in my band, and fell a beating the coffin, calling Papa, for, I know not how, I had some slight idea that he was locked up there. My mother hither catched me in her arms, and transported beyond all patience of the silent grief she was before in. She almost smothered me in her embrace, and told me in a flood of tears, Papa could not hear me and would play with me no more, for they were going to put him underground, whence he could never come to us again. She was a very beautiful woman, of a noble spirit, and there was a dignity in her grief amidst all the wildness of her transport which, methought, struck me with an instinct of sorrow, which, for I was sensible of what was to grieve, seized my very soul, and has made pity the weakness of my heart ever since. The mind in infancy, methinks, like the body in embryo, and receives impressions so forcible that they are as hard to be removed by reason as any mark with which a child is born is to be taken away by any future application. Hence it is that good nature in me is no merit, but having been so frequently overwhelmed with her tears before I knew the cause of any affliction, or could draw defences from my own judgment, I invited commiseration, remorse, and an unholy gentleness of mind, which has since ensnared me into ten thousand calamities, and from whence I can reap no advantage, except it be that, in such a humour as I am in now, I can the better indulge myself in the softness of humanity, joy that sweet anxiety 
which arises from the memory of past afflictions. We that are very old are better able to remember things which befell us in our distant youth than the passages of later days. For this reason is that the companies of my strong and vigorous years present themselves more immediately to me in this office of sorrow. Untimely or unhappy deaths are what we are most apt to lament. So little are we able to make it indifferent when anything happens, though we know it must happen. Thus we groan under life, and bewail those who are relieved from it. Every object that returns to our imagination raises different passions according to the circumstance of their departure. Who can have lived in the army, and in a serious hour reflect upon the many gay and agreeable men that might long have flourished in the arts of peace, and not join with the occasions of the fatherless and widow on the tyrant to those ambition they fell sacrifices. But gallant men, who are cut off by the sword, move rather our veneration than our pity, and we gather relief enough from their own contempt of death to make it no evil which was approached with so much cheerfulness and attended with so much honour but when we turn our thoughts from the great parts of life in such occasions and instead of lamenting those who stood ready to give death to those from whom they had the fortune to receive it i say when we let our thoughts wander from such noble objects and consider the havoc which is made among the tender and the innocent pity enters with an unmixed softness and possesses all our souls at once here were the words to express such sentiments with proper tenderness i should record the beauty innocence and untimely death of the first object my eyes ever beheld with love the beauteous virgin how ignorantly did she charm how carelessly excel o death thou hast right to the behold to the ambitious to the high and to the haughty but why this cruelty to the humble to the meek to the undiscerning to the thoughtless nor age nor business nor distress can erase the dear image of my imagination in the same week I saw her dressed for a ball in a, in a shroud. How ill did the habit of death become the pretty trifler? I still behold the smiling earth. A large train of disasters were coming on to my memory, when a servant knocked at my closet door, and interrupted me with a letter, attended with a hamper of wine, of the same sort with that which is to be put on sale thursday next at garraway's coffee-house upon the receipt of it i sent for three of my friends we so intimate that we can be company in whatever state of mind we meet and can entertain each other without expecting always to rejoice the wine we found to be generous and warming but with such a heat as moved us rather to be cheerful than frolicsome revive the spirits without firing the blood we commended it till two of the clock this morning and having to-day met a little before dinner 
we found that, though we drank two bottles a man, we had much more reason to recollect than forget what has passed the night before. End of chapter 4 Read by Elijah Fisher